Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. If you would grab your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter number 3 tonight. As you remember, we've been going through the second Samuel, the second annual is what I like to call it. Some people say, well, if Samuel is the one who wrote this, how is he writing part two? Because we already read that Samuel died. Yeah, I remember that. This is also being written by Nod, or one of the prophets, Nod or Gad, who also wrote, and wrote these annuals because the story is not about Samuel. It's not about David. It's not about Saul. The story is about Jesus. And I know, where's Jesus at in here? Well, if you look close enough, you can actually see him. Because every text, every story, everything is a silhouette of Jesus or it's about Jesus directly. And we'll see that tonight here in chapter number 3. If you look in chapter number 3, last time we were together on a Wednesday night, we got together and we talked about the, the battle at Gaboan. As we saw the two sides come together and the 12 young men who put the swords in each other and killed each other instead of going full-fledged war. And then it spilled over and then there was a huge battle. Then we actually saw how there was one who was running and he turned around, Abner stabbed one of the, the brothers of Joab. And we spoke about last week how that's got a lot to do with revenge. We spoke about last week when we were together how revenge, revenge is a lifestyle. How you hold on and harbor that anger and that bitterness. Revenge is when you rip open the wound and don't allow it to heal. You want to stay angry, you want to stay mad, and you want to get even. In chapter number 3 today, it's a long chapter, but we're going to fly through it pretty quickly. And we're going to look at something today that's counter, the opposite of revenge. We're going to actually look at forgiveness. Now, I know I won't get a lot of amens from this one, and I know people won't be enjoying this, but good medicine administered rightly will heal and restore and help. But looking in chapter number 3 tonight, Abner joins David. Abner was the general of Saul, and now that Saul has fallen, remember they put up a puppet king to take Saul's place, one of his sons, one of the only sons that did not die at that faithful battle at Geboa. And he, they call him the son of shame because he was one who was a draft dodger. He was one who was spineless and one who would not stand for anything. So Abner put him in place there to be king. Looking in verse number 1 of chapter number 3, follow along with me if you have your Bible. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. We do know that, as we saw in the last chapter, chapter number 2, that David was coronated. He was the king. He was crowned king of one of the tribes, the tribe of Judah. He became king and stayed king there for about seven years. However, this text here begins, it says it was a long war. We can look at that two ways. You can say, well, this was a long day or it's been a long year. It's been a long decade. We see how the weariness of war carries on and on in verse number 1 of chapter 3. In this war, it says that David grew stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker. We remember that Saul was not a man after God's own heart. Saul was one who sowed into the flesh. Saul was one who did not need God. And in the final moments of his life, he didn't even call out to God. He destroyed himself. Remember, we talked about how Saul destroyed the prophets of God. And at that point, he was found himself in a corner and he needed, he needed some divine intervention. So he goes to a witch. 
He goes to one who was the very opposite as far as God being light. He runs to the darkness to try to get a little edge on trying to communicate with things that are supernatural. At that point where Samuel comes up from the after other world and he speaks to Saul and he says, before the sun goes down tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. So we see the lifestyle of Saul. Saul lived in darkness. He walked in darkness. He lived how he died as a murderer, murdering himself. Now, that's not the case with everyone who commits suicide. I've talked to you before. That's above my pay grade. I don't know if a person, when they lose their mind, they could snap, have some kind of episode. But I allow God to be God. I, it's not that I allow Him to be God. He is God. He's going to decide either way. So I'm not going to speculate on anybody who commits suicide. All you do, though, if, you, if you're contemplating suicide, is taking your pain and putting it on somebody else who loves you. Amen. Amen. I, I've always encouraged you to say, today's worth living. Today's a good day, even if you've got to say it through your teeth. I'm still living today. There's still hope today. I'm drawing breath today. I'll tell you a story. If today you're looking at your circumstances and say, well, I don't have all that I want or even all that I deserve. I'm not where I want to be. The story goes like this. I want you to imagine this little shack out in the wilderness. It's a rickety little shack. When the wind blows, it kind of sways a little bit. Inside that shack, there's a little old widow advanced in years. She goes to the cupboard and she opens the cupboard. There on the shelf is a couple of a couple of crumbs and some bread. She takes it out and she goes over to her rickety table and she lays it on the table. Goes over to the old water pitcher and pours her a glass of water. Comes to the table, pulls the chair back and sits down, lifting her eyes up with tears in her eyes. And the thing is, she can actually see through the slats of the roof at the sky with tears in her eyes. She says. I've got Jesus, and I've got all this. It's a good day. See, you thought a different story was going to come for that. You thought she would be, be, be being upset and disgruntled. But she said, I have Christ in all of this. You would do well to be content. To look around where you are and what you're, where you're sitting and, where, and, the, and the state that you're in. I've got Jesus and all this. I have friends. I have family who care for me. I have clothes on my back, shoes on my feet. I have a full belly. I have a place to lay my head tonight. God is certainly good to me because if He gave me exactly what I deserve, we all know that would be hell. Amen. I have Christ in all of this. If you don't get anything tonight, be sure to grab that. Because we don't get what we deserve. If we get what we deserve, we lift our eyes up for the pits of hell. Thank you, God, for grace and mercy. Amen. Amen. So we see here that the war has gone on and on between David and Saul, but David grew stronger and stronger because God was with David. And Saul's household became weaker and weaker. In verse number 2, the sons were born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Ammon. His second was Caleb. I'm skipping through this pretty quick because some of these sons don't really matter. In fact, the one that really matters is not even on the list is Solomon, but we'll get there. We see the third was Absalom. He'll show up a little later. He has a head full of hair. I don't know if he was born with it, but later on it will be very important that you know that this man has a lot of hair. We see that the fourth was 
was Adajana. And the fifth, Shethath. See, if you don't know how to say it, say it fast, it sounds right. The sixth was Atherim and the Egads of David's wife. They were born to David at Hebron. The reason Solomon is not mentioned there because Solomon wasn't born yet at Hebron. We know if you studied your Bible that Solomon will be the heir. But there will be a lot of turmoil. Oh, there will be a lot of drama, a lot of Telenova. Much drama. There will be a lot of stories like days of our lives that will take place before Solomon becomes king. And guess what? We get to go hand in hand and walk through it together to study this and break it down. Look in verse number 6. And there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Abner, of course, was the general under Saul. However, Abner was positioning himself in a place of strength in the house of Saul. In verse number 7, Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rasel, and the daughter of Ai. And Ishobeth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? Now to understand in verse number 7, whenever a king would have a concubine, this was someone who was for fun. This was a side chick, if you want to know what it means in our day's language. A lady on the side. And it's been commanded in the Bible because David was not, he was not guiltless before God in this situation because we just saw in the previous verses that he had a bunch of children but by different wives. So does that mean I can have a bunch of baby llamas? That's what, that's what we call it, the baby mamas. No. In fact, in Deuteronomy 17, 17, some of y'all need to write that down. God is speaking to the kings of Israel. He tells him that you shall not acquire many wives for yourself. I got one wife and that's all I can handle. Amen. You shall not acquire many wives for himself. Least his heart turn away, nor he acquire for himself excessive gold and silver. Why would God tell the king of Israel, don't get a lot of wives and don't get a lot of gold and silver? Well, the reason he would get a lot of wives if you were a king or a diplomat at that time was to marry, to make alliances between nations. If you marry Pharaoh's daughter, there's less chance that Pharaoh will invade your country. So David, even though he's a man after God's own heart, doesn't keep God's law to the T. I don't know about you. This just lets me know that the Bible was written by God through men. If it was fairy tales and made up, you would see David and he'd be flawless. He'd be Prince Charming. No, no flaws found in him. But we get closer to him and we see that he's flesh and bone just like me and you. He didn't adhere. He didn't always walk with God. But then, then again, thank God for grace. If we didn't grade on grace here, David would be with us in hell. But grace. But God. If it were not for grace and if it were not for mercy, where would you be? Ooh, okay. Got real quiet. We see here that David had many wives, had many children. Directly doing the exact opposite of what God had done. Even Saul had done that. He had concubines. And to, 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 to get with a concubine after a king had passed on is also to make claim. To make claim to the kingdom. To claim royalty from the bloodline of royalty. So this general, Abner, goes into Saul's concubine. 
He's making a play for the throne. What he's really doing is insulting the current king. But remember this current king is a son of shame. He is limp-wristed. He had a wishbone where his backbone should be. He was not strong. He was not bold. He was not one to lead his people with courage. So he asked Abner, Hey man, his voice probably squeaked a little, Hey man, what are you doing? You can't do that. That's, That's bad. Abner be a man, an old veteran, one who is the head of the military. He responds with an offense. Then in verse 8, Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbeth. And he said, Am I a dog's head of Judah? To this day I have kept steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David. And yet you charge me today with fault concerning a woman? Just like a woman. I'm not picking on the ladies. I'm just kidding. This is not really about the woman. It's really about pride, isn't it? Yes, it's about pride. Abner makes a play for the throne, basically. The king says, hey, what are you doing? And now the general says, hey, I can't believe you're following me. He caught him a dead dog's head from Judah, saying that, remember, David is from Judah, saying that I'm of the enemies. Uh, Am I against you, king? Am I one to come after you and harm you? And you accuse me this way? We could almost read into it. It's like he really did make a play for the king. It's almost like he was going for the crown. We can read into it. We can make sense of it. And in verse 8, uh, we see that he calls him a dog's head. In verse 9, God do so to Abner and more also if I am not accomplished for David what the Lord has sworn to him. In verse number 9, we see that everybody knew that David was to be king of Israel. Everybody knew. Even Abner, even the king of the, over the other 11 tribes, they all knew that David was to be king. It's also true about you. God has a calling on your life, and you might deny it and run from it. You say, no, no, not me. But everybody knows. We all know. Don't look at them. It makes them uncomfortable, but I'm looking at them. We know there's a calling on your life. We know. We know. We know. And you do too. We see here that God do so to Abner and more to me. If I do not accomplish what David has sworn to him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over to Israel, over Judah, from Dan to Beersheba. Here's Abner saying, I'm going to give the kingdom to David. I'm going to pledge allegiance to him. I see how you treat me. Verse 11, And Ashbeth could not answer, and Abner another word, because he feared him. Verse number 12, And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me, and behold, my hand shall be with you to bring over Israel to you. And he said, Good. I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, that is you shall not see my face unless you bring Micah, Saul's daughter, when you come see my face. If you know the story of David, you know Micah, she was one of the young brides. She was the first wife of David. This wife was given to David because he went and was challenged by Saul because Saul hated David, but he wanted his enemies to kill David instead of Saul having to do the dirty work. So he sends David into enemy territory and says, Go get me 50 foreskins from the Philistines. And we know what foreskins are. He had to do some dirty work to get them. 
However, when David returned, he comes back not with 50, but 100. He goes over and beyond because he feels like he's not worthy to be called a son-in-law to the king. And he wins Micah. She's part of his family now. And he's the son-in-law to the king. However, when David goes on the run, the king Saul takes his own daughter and David's wife and gives her to someone else. And time has passed on. So what David is doing, he's doing a little bit of house cleaning as far as political wise. He sees the turmoil that's going on in Saul's family over the woman, somebody grasping for the throne. So David walks in wisdom and he tries to tie up the loose ends that nobody else will make a claim for the throne whenever David finally is coronated the king over Israel. So he says, I want my original wife back. I've earned her. She's actually mine because I actually paid the, the bridal bounty for her. Oh, you see how the drama is starting to form here? Because she's often married. Been with this other man for about nine years. Ooh, let's read, see what happens. Verse 14, Then David sent messengers to Ishbeth. Saul's son said, Give me my wife Micah, whom I paid the bridal price for, a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbeth sent and took her from her husband, Patel, the son of Laish. But her husband went with her, weeping after her, all the way to Burham. When Abner said to him, Go return, he returned. Now, I know you don't understand why he, he wept all the way to Burham, but that is where he's getting ready to pass over into the domain of David. He doesn't want this man following after him as he goes into the realm of David. So he says, Hey, this for your best that you turn around. I'm sure she loved her husband. And I'm sure he loved her. However, politics. <laughs> we love it, don't we? <laughs> Verse 17, And Abner conferred with the elders of Israel. For some time past you have been seeking David as king over you. Now then, bring it about, for the Lord has promised David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all my enemies. Abner also spoke to Benjamin. And then Abner went to tell David at Hebron, all Israel and the whole house of Benjamin thought good to do so. Abner starts to unite the other 11 tribes. Even though all this politics is going on, even though it seems like the pot is being stirred, it, it almost seems like uh, people are being slighted and being killed and marriages are being broken up. David simply sits on his throne and waits upon the Lord. David doesn't have to lift a finger to do anything. David simply trusts in God. When God spoke to him and said, you'll be king over Israel, he simply prepares himself to be king over Israel. I wonder what David's doing by all this is going on. Do you think he's probably pulling the scrolls of the prophecies of God, looking at what God has done in the history books? Do you think he wrote Psalms? Because there are many Psalms that David wrote at this point. And he will write many more as turmoil and trials come his way. But he prepares himself to be king. He doesn't prepare himself and manipulate anything around him. He simply trusts in God. You do well to do the same. Amen. Simply trust in God. If politics starts swirling around you, tossing things and making things fall down and shake under your feet, simply trust God. If things start to tumble and fall around you, trust God. You heard me say it last week. I asked you, have you prayed about it? 
Have you spoken to God? You probably told your neighbor, probably called your mama, grandma, Junebug, talked to all of them back at the house, but have you talked to God about it? Remember, I told you that God is above everything. There is not one molecule, one proton, proton and neutron in all of creation that He does not stand over and say, Mine, mine, mine. He rules over it all. There is not one section of all creation that He does not rule over. And that includes you, whether you believe it or not. You can deny gravity. Climb onto the top of this building and jump on and say, I don't believe in gravity. In a minute, you'll be splat. You'll find out that gravity is real. We see here that David simply sets and waits. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength as we read in Isaiah. Are you waiting on God? You might say, well, I wish He'd hurry up. <laughs> but God of all creation is always on time. I got a weak amen, but it was an amen nonetheless. Verse 20. When Abner came with 20 men at David to David at Hebron, David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, I will rise and go and gather all of Israel to my Lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may reign over all their heart's desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. We see that the covenant has been established. David makes a deal with Abner. Abner says, I'm going to unite the nation. This is what's best. Uh, David, I knew that you are going to be king. I already knew. I'm going to talk to the other tribes and we're going to put this nation together. No more brother versus brother. No more clan against clan. It will be Israel united under God's man, God's king. Verse 22, Just then the servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid, bringing in much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David at Hebron. For he had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. Now I must remind you who Joab is. Joab was the other general. He's the, the one who was with David. He's always been David's right-hand man. But Joab was the one that was infected last time we were together with a fatal disease. No, it was not cancer. It was not some kind of uncurable uh, COVID. It was Revenge. Joab was still foaming at the mouth to kill Abner because Abner pleaded with Joab's brother to turn the other way. Don't come after me. You're just a rookie. I'm an old veteran. Please go and gather the spoils of another warrior. Don't come after me because I hate to be blood between me and you. However, the younger brother would not listen. And Abner actually killed the brother of Joab. Joab and his other brother goes after, Joe, goes after Abner. They chase him down until finally they call off a truce. At least everyone dies. Now they barely miss each other. Abner heads back to the other tribes. And Joab comes in after plundering the nations around. Probably going against those that are the Philistines, the enemies of God. He comes in with great plunder and he hears that Abner was just there. So what does Joab do? In verse 23, when Joab and all the army was, that was with him, it was told Joab, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he, was let, he has let him go, and he has gone in peace. In verse 24, then Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Behold, Abner has come to you. Why is it that you have sent him away so that he has gone? You know that Abner the son of Ner come to deceive you. 
and to know you're going out and you're coming in. And to know all that is that you are doing. It is possible that Joab believed that. It's possible. But we must understand the underlying, the underlying issue here is Joab wants to kill Abner. Joab wants to get even. Have you ever been that way? Wanted to get even? Has it ever cost you anything? They say whenever you want to, um, whenever you want to uh, get revenge on someone, whenever you're digging a grave, dig a grave for two, because you're going to be there too, because it's going to wound you too. In verse twenty-six, when Joab came out from David's presence, he left messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern of Sarah, but David did not know about him. Joab sends a messenger ahead, a quick messenger, probably a scout, and he catches up with Abner. At the cistern, if you want to know what a cistern is, probably a well, a place that held water. Probably Abner stopped there to rest his animals and probably to just to find an oasis and a rest. But then the messenger comes up to him. David had no inclination that this was taking place. In verse 27, And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the midst of the gate to speak with him privately. And there he struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asher his brother. We see in verse 27, the revenge inflicted. He brings him to the side over by the gate in secret, sticks a blade into his gut and kills him. They say revenge is best served cold. You've heard that before. Yes, In fact, if it weren't for revenge, there wouldn't be many movies. There wouldn't be many TV shows. There'd be hardly any novels. If the world just did away with revenge, to get even, there'd be no wars, no politics, no divorces. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him to the side in the midst of the gate to speak with him privately. He does it privately. He assassinates a brave man. Probably more brave than him. A man more noble than him. Because this was done on the battlefield. But he does it personal. We do well not to take things personal. Have you ever took something personal that you really shouldn't? We see in, we see in Job chapter 4 verse 8. As I have seen those who plow iniquity, sow trouble, reap the same. Job was telling the, the, the friends of his that around him, he says, I have seen that those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. That means you reap what you sow. Well, you say, well, who reaping here? Oh, the, it's, it's being sowed here. I want you to understand. Joab will be around for 40 more years. For 40 more years, he will be at the side of David. But he's reaping and sowing into the flesh. Bitterness and anger. And now we're starting to see the very first fruits of Joab. David had nothing to do with this. In fact, we'll read here in verse 31. Then David said to Joab, to all the people who were with him, tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And King David followed the prayer. And they buried Abner at Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. 
And the king laminated for Abner, saying, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hand were not bound. Your feet were not fettered. And as one falls before the wicked, you have fallen. He cries out that Abner has been killed unjustly. He says when his hands were not bound and not fettered, that means he wasn't even brought to court to stand trial for the trials of any kind of, any kind of things that were done on the battlefield that were wrong. He calls him, he says, should Abner die as a fool? Now you remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Nabal. Nabal was the son, he was the man that was married to Abigail. And Nabal was a, he, he was a, a fool. That's what the Bible says. And we read in Psalm 14.1 that the fool says that in heart there is no God. Nabal was basically saying that he was an atheist. He didn't believe there was a God. He walked as if there was no God. He, he, he carried himself that was there was no God. He spoke as if there was no God. Here David says that Abner didn't even talk like an atheist. He spoke as there if it was a God. He spoke in wisdom. And he said the way he died is almost as if it was a fool. That a fool deserved to die like that. You got to realize that if you're the king and the guy who did it is right there and you're saying all this, Joab's probably bullying. He's probably, I don't know, I don't know. How, how does that work when you seek revenge on someone and you get the revenge? Is it satisfying? Does it, does it satisfy and you're satiated and now you're at peace? No, revenge doesn't do that. Revenge is a raging fire. And that it burns deeper when someone offends you by saying something or talking a certain way. The, the revenge is not extinguished when you get revenge. Don't you understand? It's like lust. Lust is not satiated and satisfied when you finally reach your pinnacle and you're there and you've accomplished all that you wanted. You're not satisfied. That's what they say about Alexander the Great. When he conquered the whole world, the whole known world, he was not satisfied. It's never enough for us. One more head rolling is not enough. You got to get everybody. You got to put a whole family in the morgue. It's not enough. Everybody's got to respect me because pride grows like gangrene in our souls. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, he will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. A couple of years ago, there was an old, old lady named Eleanine Wilbur. She actually had an outstanding balance on her water bill. So what the city did of Massachusetts, the city in Massachusetts, what they actually did, they put a lien on her house and even charged her a late fee of $48. To send the letter, it cost about 25 cents for the stamp to send the letter at the time. And the late fee, guess how much it was? It was one cent. One cent is what she owed. It cost that city a lot of bad publicity because they would not overlook one cent on her water bill. They would not show any kindness to a blind widow who had an outstanding balance of one cent. On top of that, a late fee and then a lien against her house saying that they're going to take her house, sell it on auction to pay all her debts. One cent. That might outrage you. You might say, that don't even sound right. 
But don't we hold things against people that are even much less? I don't know, preacher. You should have seen what they said. You should have heard what they said. You weren't there, preacher. I haven't forgot. You didn't live in that house. You didn't see what she did. You don't have to walk in my shoes. You're right. I've got my own. Forgiveness. Proverbs 19.11 Good sense makes one slow to anger and it's glory to overlook an offense. You do good to overlook offenses. Did they mean it that way? Yeah, they meant it that way. They, they, they made that personal. Offenses grow. They fester. Before you know it, you're lashing out at people who had nothing to do with the offense. Matthew 6, 14-15, Jesus says, For you have forgiven others in their trespasses. Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you of your trespasses. Mm, what's that mean? Jesus is basically saying here, forgive people as much as God has forgiven you. If he's only forgiving you a little bit, by all means, don't carry your cross, carry a grudge. Still be mad about that thing. Still be angry. Rip open the wound anew and let it blow, blood and bleed everywhere. Be angry about it all new. Be refreshed in your revenge. But if God has forgiven you of great offenses, if God has forgiven you of great sins, forgive others. Only forgive others as much as God has forgiven you. Ooh, let me say it again. Somebody's writing that down. Only forgive others as much as God has forgiven you. Amen. Wow. Imagine a world where we forgive each other. Imagine a world where we forgive and don't take it personal. Mark eleven twenty five. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. That's what it says. And there's a comma there. He's also telling us where we are to forgive. If, you're, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. He's saying forgive. There's even a, one in Matthew who says, if you're standing at the altar and you're praying, and you remember there's an alt between you and someone else, that means there's an issue between you and someone else, leave where you are and go. Find forgiveness and forgive. That way God is able to receive your sacrifice. Did you know if you're holding a grudge against someone today, that your prayers are hindered? God hears you saying, God help me through today. And God knows in your heart that you're harboring an offense and anger and bitterness towards somebody in your life now or in your past. Some of the people that were angry at ain't even alive anymore. Some people that were mad at don't even know that we're mad at them. In Roman times, what they did when someone was caught murdering someone else, they would take that person and tie them to the corpse. This is their justice. They would tie the corpse on the back of the person who murdered them. So as time went on, the rigor mortis of the corpse and the fluids and the things that leaked out of that corpse got on the person and poisoned them and they died. What you talking about, preacher? Some of y'all are carrying around 
a lot of dead weight, anger and bitterness. When Jesus said, you hate somebody in your heart in Matthew chapter 5, it's the same as unforgiveness and bitterness and murder. You've murdered somebody in your heart. And you're carrying that on your back. And that is affecting your soul, your spirit, your mind, your thinking, everything about you. It's like gangrene. It's getting into your DNA of your very essence. And it's ruining you. You're carrying around a lot of dead bodies because you won't forgive. Some of those are dead. How am I going to forgive them they're dead? Hey, really for them, it's for you. Forgive them. Forgive them. Oh, that's easy for you to say. No, it's not. It's easy for me to say, but is it easy for me to do? No, I'm just like you, flesh and bone. And the only way I'm able to do it, if God don't help me, I ain't going to be able to do it. (coughs) Only forgive those as much as God has forgiven you. If He's forgiven you of a lot, If this is the first time you ever heard this, I want to assure you there's no sin that you've committed that God will not forgive you of. I I want to let you know there ain't no stretch marks on sin, on on grace. God don't look at it and say, I can barely forgive you for that one. That was bad. He forgives sinners because that's all there is. Unmerited grace. That means you don't deserve it. That means you don't earn it. That means you probably hadn't even asked for it, but He's forgiven you. I'll forgive them if they ask me. No, I would go ahead and forgive them before they ask. Go ahead and sit in your mind to walk in a way to forgive. Just say, I'm just going to forgive. I'm just going to forgive. I'm supposed to carry my cross and follow Jesus. But these baggages and these, these grudges, this is too heavy. You can walk a lot lighter, walk a lot further if you just forgive. Only forgive as much as Jesus forgiven you. I know some of y'all don't like me saying that. So I'll say it again. Only forgive somebody as much as Jesus has forgiven you. All those in the past, forgive them. Forgive everybody today. And plan on forgiving them tomorrow. Unless you want to be mad. Oh, I get that. I understand. Let's be honest. Some of us want to stay sick. Some of us want to go to hell. Some of us want to be miserable. That's just the world we live in. Some people just want to see the world burn. But if you want peace, if you want grace and mercy, forgive. If you don't have the strength in you today to forgive, we didn't really get to the root. That's just the fruit. I don't have it in me to forgive somebody. Let's look at the root. How do you get the ability? How do you get the strength to forgive? Matthew, uh, Psalms 25, 18. David writes, Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. David begins at the root. If David had a lot of people to be mad at and want to kill, it makes sense. And he asked God to forgive him of his sins. Before you're able to forgive anybody... You need to cry out to God for Him to forgive you of your sins. Yes, you might have done other people wrong, but ultimately, you've done God wrong. You have broken His laws and His commandments and statutes. David cries out, Consider my affliction and my trouble. Forgive my sins. I know people don't like this phrase, but I like to use it. 
Forgiving people forgive people. If you're here today harboring hate and resentment and anger towards anybody, you really need to examine your salvation. I know those hard words, but hard words make tender hearts. Examine your salvation to see if you're really a Christian and you're really serving Christ. Jesus never harbored any resentment, any anger toward anyone. He prayed for them. Let's begin there. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Pray for those who intentionally hurt you. I don't want to hear that preacher. Can't I bless them with two hands around the throat until they turn blue? No, you can't. When Jesus was on the cross, those who intentionally crucified Him, hated Him, and mocked Him, He hung on the cross. And what does He do? He prays for them. We are to pray for those who are hurting us, using us, and persecuting us. If you've got to begin your prayers with your teeth clenched, Father, give me the strength. Lord, bless them. Help them. If you've got to pray like that, by all means, begin to pray that way. Because you can't pray for someone you hate. You say a lot of words. I'm living a lot of this too. I've lived most of it, if not all. Pray for those who you hate. Until you overcome them with love and forgiveness. In Psalms 86, verse 5 through 7, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, is what David writes. Abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear to my prayer and listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you will answer me. I don't know who you are, but that really resonates with someone. That our God hears us when we cry. He will hear our prayers. Our God is not so busy with the things going on in the world that He don't have time to hear us when we cry out to Him. David says that, listen to my plea for grace. David is asking for forgiveness from God. I know some of us carry some things that we don't even want to talk about. But I ask you to talk to God about them because He can forgive and He does forgive. I know it's only 7.42. But I don't want to sound like I'm beating a dead horse here. Somebody here tonight needs to find forgiveness from God. Somebody here tonight needs to come clean with God. Lord, I've, I've held on to this quite a long time. I've had this corpse on my back. I've been holding and lugging around. And it's infected every area of my life. I can't trust anybody because of the way I was treated. I can't let anybody get close to me because I, I, I built uh, walls for defense, but it's made a prison and I can't get out of anymore. God, I don't want to be like this anymore. I, I, God, I want you to forgive me. So I can forgive others. God, I want you to heal me. Because I was wounded to the soul when they betrayed me and they hurt me. But only you, Lord, can do this. I, I can't. I, I could put a band-aid over it. I could put a band-aid over the gaping wound. I can fill it with alcohol, all kinds of drugs, eating, and illicit sex. I can do that. I can, I can just pound, pack it full of stuff, but it will only cause the infection to spread, God. So I'm going to need you to heal me. I'm going to need you to forgive me.
And Lord, once I understand that you've forgiven me, no matter how great my sins are, you're a greater God. No matter how much I've sinned, you're much more of a forgiver. And now that I walk in forgiveness, God, I can forgive the people around me. The preacher said tonight that forgiving people forgive people. And Lord, I, I've not been able to because I've not been forgiven. So God examined me tonight. All the resentment that I've carried these years, Lord, let me leave it here tonight. And Lord, even if it takes time to grow in grace and mercy, Lord, walk with me. Don't abandon me. Don't give up on me. I'm a work in progress. For you're the potter and I'm the clay. Lord, I'm on the wheel and I'm spinning. And you rise me up and you tear me down. You make me in your image. So God... Let your fingerprints be all over me. I'm not perfect. I, I, I'm not claiming to be perfect. But Lord, I want to make progress. I want to walk in holiness. Grow in righteousness. Read your word. And Lord, I want to begin to heal. Let us bow our heads. Father, tonight, I pray these words will resonate with somebody. I pray tonight someone would heal. Lord, there's festering wounds here that only You can touch and heal. Lord, we tried our, our backwoods medications. We tried ways to, to numb the pain. We've done everything we could. We've thrown ourselves at other idols and worshipped other gods. But Joab, we see here in this story, Joab gets revenge. And Lord, he enters into a life that's vengeful and spiteful. He doesn't cut anybody any slack. He holds everybody up to a perfect standard that he himself can't even meet. Lord, I, I know I can't live like that because I walk in grace. I can't reach the perfect standard that even you require. So Lord, I need grace. And Lord, when I realize that I'm a recipient of grace and I've been forgiven, I'm able to forgive others and show grace towards them.